Welcome to EdView 360. Schools really do have a lot of flexibility and discretion to use the funds to meet their particular needs. And I think that's one of the great things that they can really adapt it based on what they see they need the most. You just heard Victoria Acosale of SIIA. Ms. Acosale is our guest today on EdView 360. This is Pam Austin. Welcome back to the EdView 360 podcast series. We are so excited to have you back with us. I'm conducting today's podcast from my native New Orleans, channeling the heart of Voyager Soapers Learning in Dallas, Texas. Today, we're excited to welcome Victoria Acasale, Education Technology Policy Manager, SIIA. Ms. Acasale is our guest for the second education funding series we are hosting. Welcome, Ms. Acasale. Thank you, Pam. So happy to be here with you all. Oh, we're happy to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you became involved in education? Yeah, sure. So I feel like for me, it probably goes back to high school. I interned at DCPS, which is the District of Columbia Public School Systems. And it was very interesting to be on the back end and seeing how decisions were made across a variety of different factors that influence what happened in schools all across the district. So I think that internship was probably my first introduction into education. And then throughout college, I also worked in a lot of education-based organizations at ETS, which is Education Testing Services. I did some research at the Urban Institute, and I also worked with Bernstein Strategy Group. And I've also been on the teaching side of things. I've taught English in both China and Spain. So education is something that's just been like a common thread in everything I've done. It looks like you dove into education inside and outside. Oh, you must have such an eclectic experience here. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, being in front of the classroom as well as being behind the scenes, you just have a sort of appreciation knowing that people are working on both sides to try and get things done, even if you can't see it. So yeah, it's definitely a perspective builder for sure. Definitely. Absolutely love it. Tell me, what does SIIA stand for and what does it do? Yeah, sure. So we are the Software and Information Industry Association. So in general, we have about 700 different member companies across a variety of industry sectors. But specifically to education, we focus on ed tech. And we are currently the only ed tech trade association. And what that means is that we represent the interests of ed tech companies, especially when rules and laws and policies are being made that combine the intersection of the two. So you have education, that's its own sort of silo. And you have technology, which is, again, its own sort of silo. But more and more, the two are starting to converge. And especially over the past year, it's definitely been brought to the forefront. So we make sure their perspective is included in decisions that would affect them. You know, on the website, it says the voice for the specialized information industry and associations. What does that mean and how is it connected to education? You gave us a little bit of information. Can you dive more deeply into that? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like I said, we are the only EdTech Trade Association. So we are the voice, the loudest voice, the only voice making sure that EdTech companies are considered when different rules and policies and just things in general come up. 
So what we do is that we definitely serve as sort of a bridge between those making the decisions and making sure that the ed tech perspective is considered because it's something that is fairly new for most people. And it's been accelerated over the past year. So making sure things that may not have been considered, we're making certain rules and regulations are considered from the ed tech perspective. So making sure that we are the only voice for them. So making sure that our voice is heard and their needs are met. I like the idea, the analogy you used of a bridge, right? Quite often we need a bridge to make those connections. Thank you so much for sharing your background and that information about SIIA. Now, let's move on to today's topic. Can you tell us a little bit about what ESSER funds are and how and why they were created? Yeah, sure. So ESSER stands for the Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief Fund. And it was first created in the CARES Act, which was the first COVID relief bill passed in March of last year. And it was created under the Education Stabilization Fund. And what it is, is it's money for schools to address issues that came about when the pandemic hit. When the pandemic first started, like everyone was sort of in this limbo and, you know, navigating uncharted waters, especially schools, teachers, parents, administrators. And there was a lot of things to sort of move into motion immediately. Schools, teachers, students were at home and there needed to be a way to to reach them. So ESSER was created to give more funds to schools to be able to address the impacts of the pandemic and prepare for it in the future. Thank you. That's good to know. Last month, we had a podcast with John Hummel regarding the CARES Act. How does ESSA relate to the CARES Act? You gave us some information. Can you expound on that as well? Yeah, sure. So again, so ESSER is money created in all the COVID relief bills for education. So there have been three so far and the CARES was the first one. And the ESSER funds under the CARES Act, so that was around $13.2 billion for K through 12 schools. And there were very broad guidelines for schools on how to use them because again, This was something very new for everyone. So what the CARES Act did, it was that it provided funds for schools to do things like sanitize their schools or upgrade their ventilation systems, as well as get things like education technology, hardware and software for students as they made that transition. So ESSER and the CARES Act, that was the first introduction that we had to ESSER funds. And it really was made with the idea of helping schools navigate the switch to remote learning during the pandemic. Okay. Well, when I think of Title I, how does that relate to ESSER? Yeah. So just a bit of background. So Title I is part of the Elementary, Secondary, and Education Act. And what it is, is that it's a formula that provides money to local school districts who have a high percentage of children from low-income households. And what these funds do, they're meant to help support them academically to make sure that they are still getting the resources that they need. And how that relates to ESSER is that the federal government, they give the money to a state education agency. So the money goes from the government to the state. And then from the state level, it is then giving out to local education agencies, or you can call them districts. So it's given out to the districts. And the money that is given to the districts is dependent on how much money they normally receive under Title I. So again, so Title I is based on the number of students in a district who come from low-income households. So with that percentage in mind, the more Title I students that you have, the higher the amount of ESSER funds that you receive. 
Okay, that makes sense. From the federal to the state to local districts and districts will distribute to those schools based on need. Yep, it's all a flow chart from top to bottom. Well, tell me, what challenges do you think schools might face when they return to the classroom this school year? You know, just this morning, I saw many school buses on the road. Kids are on their way back to classes. What are some of those challenges you'd like to share, like to address? To be quite honest, I think, you know, what challenges won't many schools face when they go back? I think because the past year has been really challenging for students, teachers and parents and everyone involved. But one of the things that I think will be particularly challenging this year is making sure that school lesson plans are adapted for in-person and online learning and that they are engaging so that if something were to happen, if the school year is disrupted or online learning needs to exist or a student can't come to the school for some reason, they have the opportunity to still engage in a lesson plan and still feel like the lesson plan was designed with them in mind and they're engaged and they like the lesson plan and that they're learning from it. And that teachers also have the technology to be able to do that. So I think just making sure that there is that adaptability component for in-person and online learning, I think that will be something that schools will definitely have to think about this year. So a flexible curriculum with a flexible format for face-to-face or maybe virtual instruction. That's what you say would be most beneficial for teachers. Well, yeah, I think that might be a challenge and that would be beneficial for them to make sure that that's in place for them. Thinking about the ESSER funds, can they be used to address those challenges? Let's say there's a curriculum out there that would benefit that have these features. Could the funding be used to purchase the materials as well as what teachers would need to make sure that they're able to shift from, let's say, a face-to-face environment to a virtual environment? Yeah, and I think one of the great things about ESSER is that there's a lot of flexibility in how the funds can be used. So there are overall guidelines and what they have to be used for, but the specifics are completely up to the districts to decide how they want to implement that. So if it's a situation where students need laptops or they need a particular sort of ed tech tool or resource, schools can use the money from ESSER to purchase those different materials to make sure that students have what they need to be able to continue the school year, even if it's in person or remote. So again, schools really do have a lot of flexibility and discretion to use the funds to meet their particular needs. And I think that's one of the great things that they can really adapt it based on what they see they need the most. That's great. You know, that word flexibility, it makes just so much sense. Because when you think about the entire country and the needs across the country, needs will vary, right? So solutions will vary. And just developing those solutions and having those resources, those resources will vary as well. This really leads me to one of our interventions, because as soon as you talked about flexibility and curriculum shifting from one to another, you know, our passport K-5 intervention solution is as a strong. How important is a strong literacy solution to addressing challenges due to pandemic and returning to the classroom? And I do have to add, it can shift from being a face-to-face to virtual intervention there. That little tidbit, I think, needs to be known. But when I think about a curriculum being ESSA strong, how important is that? Yeah, so ESSA strong is great because it, it uses the same definition as ESSA strong, 
as well. So that there are different tiers on under what evidence-based means and what that looks like. So something that is strong evidence, that means like, you know, there's at least like one well-designed and implemented study. So it's considered something that's known as tier one evidence. And a lot of the ESSER funds, if a school wants to like purchase a new software, a new program, or implement something new, it does need to be evidence-based. So the higher the rating or the higher the evidence based on the department standards, you know, the better it is for students because there's more evidence that it works and there'd be no issue in wondering if it's something that ESSER funds could be used to purchase. Perfect. Thank you for that answer, Victoria. You know, as an FYI, I want to let everyone know that Passport supports both face-to-face and is a remote-ready curriculum. It's an intervention for our K-5 students. That's great to hear. With that in mind, I do have another question to ask you, really focusing on, on the ESSA funding still. How will a school or district get started requesting funding for ESSA? You know, we talked about the flowchart, the federal, the state, the local. Um, how do the local districts even know what they may be receiving? Where would they go? What would their first steps be? Yeah. So for any school district or local education agency, the first place to start would be their state education agency. So going back to that flow chart, but, you know, in the reverse sort of way, school districts, they need to apply for the funds from the state. And for particularly for ESSER funds, they are able to apply for the funds based on going back to that Title I formula. So the ESSER funds would be distributed based on the Title I funding that a district received in 2019. So based on that, school districts would apply from the state and the state applies to the government on behalf of the state. So that's any school district looking to figure out where to get their ESSER funds from should definitely start with their state education agency. All right. So the reverse flow chart, just let me state it again. (laughs) All right. So the schools would contact the the local district, would contact the state, and the state will contact the federal on behalf of them. Yeah. So everyone applies. So local applies from the state and the state applies from the federal. All right. Very good. Thank you for clarifying that for us. Just thinking, what are some other funding options and how can schools or districts access that information? Yeah. So in the first two COVID relief bills, so the CARES Act and what I'll call the CARES Supplemental Act, there was a pot of money allotted to governors known as GEAR funding. And what GEAR funding was, it was a discretionary amount of money that governors were able to dole out to K-12 schools or higher ed schools. And schools could apply and the governor would assess and decide to either give them some money at their discretion to provide emergency support grants. So that is definitely one avenue that schools could look to. So I will just note that the governors had to award the funds within a year of receiving them. So the CARES Act was passed in March of last year. So the time period for that has elapsed, but the CARES Supplemental was passed in December, which also included year funds. So there's still time for any state looking to sort of supplement what they receive to apply for those as well. You know, Victoria, thank you for sharing that information. I look at the word gear and, you know, our government is fond of acronyms. Is that an acronym for something? And specifically, when I think of GEAR, what is it that I'm able to purchase? What is this funding directed toward? Yeah, so GEAR is the Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund. So the same way we have the one for 
almost like ESSER, we just have it at the state level. So again, it's a discretionary fund for governors to use for education across the state. So as an ESSER funds are specifically for K through 12 schools, the GEAR funds are used at the K through 12 or the higher ed level. So in total, again, Governors are given a certain amount to use at their discretion. So everyone in the education spaces are eligible for those funds. So they apply and at the governor's discretion, they can choose to award grants to the state, either in the full amount or a partial amount, or again, however they see fit, because it really is at their discretion. Victoria, you have so much good information here. You're a wonderful resource. Where should districts go if they need help or have questions related to funding? Yeah, so um, again, one of the great places to start at the district level is start with your state education agency. They can definitely provide some great resources if you have questions about funding or, you know, how much funding you received. So that's definitely one place to go. And another place to go, I would say, is the Department of Ed. They are in charge of education across the country. So they do have a lot of resources and fact sheets that sort of summarize and they have flow charts. They break things down as well. So you can definitely start with the Department of Ed's website and Any resources that are linked there would definitely be a great starting point for anyone looking for more information. All right, Victoria, you're just a fount of knowledge here. You have mentioned more than once your state education department and also the federal department of ed as wonderful resources. Do you have any other helpful websites or resources that you would recommend? I would definitely recommend those two as the starter because you will definitely be getting the information from the source. But from the department's website and from your state's website, if there are any other resources linked there, I would definitely use those because those are trusted sources that you can rely on and, you know, cut through the noise and get straight to the facts that you need. All right. Trusted sources. Great idea there. You know, we're nearing the end of our podcast. Is there anything else that schools and districts should know about securing funds from ESSER or other funding options? Any special tips or suggestions you might have? So one thing that I would say that schools and states should keep in mind are deadlines associated with the funding. So there's what's known as obligation deadlines for all of the funding in the three different COVID relief bills. And what that means is that by that certain date. So for ESSER 1 or the CARES Act, the obligation deadline is September 30th, 2022. For the CARES Supplemental, the obligation deadline is September 30th, 2023. And for the American Rescue Plan ESSER funds, that is the following year, so September 30th, 2024. And what that means is that the money needs to be assigned to go somewhere. So it doesn't necessarily have to be spent, but it does need to be obligated to a particular either program or, you know, if it's an after school activity or some, it, need, it needs to be obligated to somewhere. So that is something that states and school districts need to keep in mind, those deadlines. So basically September 30th for the next three years, just make sure that you've obligated all the funds that you've been given under ESSER. That's something to keep in mind. All right. Thank you, Victoria. There's still some time then. I heard the dates of 2022, 2023 and 2024, but having a plan, a goal so that you can obligate that money for spending in a particular way. All right. Don't forget. Finally, if you could wave a magic wand and change anything in the world of education, what would you change and why? Hmm, A magic wand to change anything. 
I think for me, one thing that we've seen that we've needed over the past year is sort of like a seamless integration of ed tech into our schools to making sure that students have the right hardware so that that means laptops and things like that, or just that they have the proper Wi-Fi and broadband to be able to use that from home. Same as the right resources at home. So if that means literacy tools that you mentioned, like Passport or, you know, other math tools, if I had my magic wand and I could wave it, I would speed up the rate as which um, we integrate ed tech into our schools seamlessly so we can skip the part where we're figuring things out and just fast forward to the part where everything works. That's what I'd use my magic wand to fix. Excellent. I love that idea. Seamlessly done. Thank you for joining us today, Ms. Acasole. It's been a pleasure visiting with you. Tell us how we can learn more about you and follow you on social media. And how can we learn more about SIIA? Yeah, for sure. So a great place to start would be our website, SIIA.net, and click on the education tab and just sort of explore what we have there. We do have a lot of resources about education and ed tech and some of the great success stories of ed tech. We just recently launched our ed tech success story series this summer. So I encourage everyone to check us out at SIA.net and at SIA on all social media, including Twitter and LinkedIn and follow us there. All right. Thank you. This is Pam Austin, bringing the best thought leaders in education directly to you. This has been an EdView 360 podcast produced by Voyager Sopris Learning. For additional thought-provoking discussions, sign up for our blog, webinar, and podcast series at voyagersopris.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts and to help other people like you find our show. Thank you.